Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Sacramento, California. Welcome to the show, Jake Harris. Hey, Victor. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Now, Jake, you've been investing in multiple states. You're very, you were very active in California and now migrating to other states, and you've just recently written a book. But before we dive into the details, maybe give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, I actually like to take a, a pivotal moment of, I was sitting on a, on a street corner down in Tucson. Uh, I was crying. I was praying to be worth nothing. And the reason I, I start with that is, is that was uh, one of these kind of really big challenging moments of my life was, you know, I was watching uh, a portfolio of properties uh, disintegrate in value uh, against what I owed against them. And I was working on this Adobe house. And not only to compound that beyond the, the financial stress of it, it was the, um, the girl that I thought I was gonna marry, we'd broken up and she was dating a new guy and I was doing the work on the house that he had bought because I was so hard up for money that I needed to do anything to be able to service that debt. And so it was a, a very challenging time, praying to be worth nothing, watching and I had this goal of becoming a millionaire. And so to the, the start, it was I got out of the army, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like probably a lot of other people. And I was like, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And uh, uh, I became this millionaire before 30. And then the subprime meltdown and I was in, you know, Arizona and watched this valuations just completely uh, fall apart. From that led to me sitting on that that street corner and praying to be worth nothing. What happened was I realized I really was destined to do real estate for the rest of my life. And so I um, used that construction background. I used some of that experience. I went back to grad school, got a degree in international real estate and finance, and then scaled up a nationwide uh, flip company and single family rental portfolio. And like you said, we, we did, I don't know, something like 1,200 you know, transactions in 23 states. And then, um, you know, as the market kind of matured, uh, the last six, seven years has mostly been focused on uh, commercial real estate in Central Texas and a few other markets, uh, Ohio and um, Wisconsin. And But primarily we're doing now ground up development or adaptive reuse heavy value add components in, in Central Texas. And so I run a private equity boutique uh, boutique private equity company uh, with a couple hundred million in assets under management. Love that. You know, a lot of people, a lot of successful entrepreneurs that I speak with have had that speed bump, that <laughs> ditch that they've fallen into at one point or another, or in some cases, just a pothole that they that they stumbled across. Everybody runs into difficulty at some point in time. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Sometimes it's not. Well, Jake, you've written a book called Catching Knives. I love the title. Uh, tell us, what was the impetus for writing the book? Well, it was early in the pandemic, 2020. And uh, I, was, I was working on this and I was like, this is it. This is the time. I'm really good at buying distressed assets. I'm really good. And, and really the, the um, 
the speed bump it sure felt like or the pothole it felt like you know dragging along the trough you know bouncing along rock bottom but it, it to me it was a fact that i was kind of lazy and i didn't put systems in place that led to this ultimate kind of failure um i was able to buy properties for under their you know market value what happened is i didn't and wasn't executing a business plan and so i systematized so many things in that process of scaling nationwide and so what I, I put together in this book was these are some of the core principles of buying real estate especially in a distressed environment and so in 2020 uh, I started working on that book it came out in 2021 and I thought there was going to be a whole lot of distressed real estate it turns out the Fed just printed $20 trillion and all values like tripled. Um, so I was uh, incorrect in my assumption, probably like a lot of economists, you know, you know, maybe we they kicked the can down the road. But it, it, in the book is really talking about some key fundamentals of the systems, the, the team, how do you leverage other people's experience? I have been doing as a professional investor, 20 plus years of experience and I have like I said a, a master's degree a broker's license I've done hundreds of millions of dollars of transactions I don't know everything I actually know uh, an infinite you know testable amount of information in this space and so to me to try to um, be the expert in all things I think is foolish and so and that's where I, I talk about is like here's the things you don't have to know everything about real estate and actually there's some really interesting stories that I, I parlay in there of people that know nothing about real estate and had tremendous levels of success because they were able to assemble the right team well, that makes an awful lot of sense. And I love the title because it, it fits an analogy, you know, back in the day, post the financial crisis of 2008, the the catchphrase was, are you getting a bargain or are you catching a falling knife? And the notion is that if you catch a falling knife, you can obviously hurt yourself quite badly uh, versus getting a bargain, which sounds like a great, like a fabulous idea. Even in today's environment, we haven't seen that meltdown occurring in the realm of multifamily, but look at office. Office could be a bargain or it could be catching a falling knife. We don't really know. Even at t even today, as we're exiting the pandemic, we're seeing vacancy rates, for example, in New York City, uh, commercial vacancy rates in midtown Manhattan that are crazy high. New York City has about 11% of the national inventory of office space. That's That's an insane number when you think about it. Is that space going to get filled up? There's people moving back to New York in droves but they're working from their apartment. They're not renting office space in Midtown Manhattan at $65 a square foot triple net. So it, it's a it, it's a good analogy, and I think it even fits today's environment, but we got depends on what asset class. Well, one of the things that I unpack in that is institutional investors, you know, portfolio management, um, and just all investors in general, like you need to understand the game that you're playing so, uh, you know, use the example of when uh, Invitation Homes, when Blackstone kind of came into the market and was acquiring a lot of assets and they were paying above market value for the, that day. And so when we were transacting and we were going to be in and out of an asset in, in 30 days, 
I'm going to use an arbitrary number, $300,000 um, was market value. We could go buy it for, you know, two twenty-five and spend twenty-five dollars or $30,000 fixing it up. And then we had this little margin of profit left there. Well, when they came in and they were buying it for three hundred and twenty-five and still needed to do the work on it, it was like, this makes no sense to me. And so what happens is they were playing a different game. They were playing a very big, long, and macro play that the market will shoulder off of those previous peak prices, and that might have been $500,000 for an individual unit, and then they could be all in for $350,000, and that's at 70% of previous peak price. And so then if I were to transact or try to over-compete or buy over the top of them, for me, that would be a very bad deal. But for them, it's a good deal. And so when you look at something like an office product, it really depends on the game that you're playing. And so um, someone that's trying to be in it short term and make money in the next six months or a year or two years, it may not be a, a viable option. But if you're looking in the next five years or 10 years, the cost of construction, can you go buy something under the intrinsic uh, cost to build right now, maybe that plays out over the course of a three, four, five year year time period. Where I'm really bullish right now is in hospitality, and especially in the roadside motel and hotel. I think the uh, limited, you know, uh, select service uh, product is going to do fantastically well over the next three to five years, and there's a really big opportunity, and you can buy those in the eight to ten cap range range right now. Very interesting. And you're making a very good point. I mean, I remember being on the steps of the courthouse at 101 Jefferson Street in Phoenix for at, you know, 110 degrees in the noon sun for the for the auction where the the um where the auctioneer was basically auctioning off a few hundred properties every day and they had three of these auctions per day. And I remember watching a mother and daughter team who did not have professional bidders with them and the professional bidders were just playing with them bidding up their price and they got the house they wanted they paid about 50,000 over what they should have at that point in time and I felt terrible for them I just felt oh man th these guys just made a mess of this you know this nice lady when in fact you fast forward a decade later and that 50,000 is a rounding error it really didn't make a difference in the grand scheme of things. They did just fine, thank you very much. So it, it, you're right. It's a question of what game are you playing? Are you trying to get in and out in six months, or are you simply buying a property, uh, you know, to hold on to and get it at a decent price? And they they were just playing a different game. And I at that moment I didn't understand that. I, I just felt bad for them from what I observed. Uh, so that's that's a great point. So. You talk a bit about systems, and I'm a huge fan of systems. I'm an engineer, and and when we see something that's not working in our business, the first question is, what's the system? Where is it broken? And how do we put a system in place to fix it? Every time we've done that, the result's been better. Can you give an example of the kinds of systems you look to put in place? Is this a process of company design, or is it a process of continuous improvement, or both? Yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of both, but really um, one of the things um, I actually, uh, earlier this year, I came out with a, a due diligence um, checklist course because I feel like so many people are jumping into commercial real estate just because um, they're looking 
you know, the residential is difficult. And so as you're getting into commercial and so they're moving into new asset types or new markets or moving into the Midwest. And, and um, the reason I like checklists is the same reason that a surgeon or a pilot uses a checklist is because it's those little mundane things that you kind of skip over or the ones while in a, in a surgery or in flying a plane, kill a bunch of people or maim them your commercial real estate deal nobody's going to die or be maimed you know hopefully not but very low probability of that however it can put you in a very difficult financial place and actually wipe you out on a personal net worth there's people that are taking 10 15 20 million dollars of of personally guaranteed debt on some of these assets and if they've made an error in some of their due diligence they can completely be wiped out during that time period by buying a wrong asset and so uh, i have a a 64 point checklist that we go through on every single property that we go through and some of it is is not uh relevant but at least we're going down that list and i teach people like this is the reason why for instance you might have a contaminated parcel a dry cleaner or you know an old gas station or something like that you go buy it now you're the new owner you're responsible for that cleanup and that can be sometimes millions of dollars and not only millions of dollars it may just be significant time delays you need to go put in monitoring wells and do other things like that and so you can't even if you gave me some of these properties for free a good deal it could cost you millions of dollars in holding costs and property taxes and have uh, beyond the liability or the hook for these cleanup and so that's where i think in the commercial world that people you know obviously people that have experienced that know this is a buyer beware kind of market but people that are now looking to transaction in in new markets or or new asset types may not know all of those fundamentals and just going off of a checklist uh is is able to systematize the way that you acquire a property. So today we're in a highly inflationary environment and inflation has three impacts. It, number one, it devalues the, the purchasing power of those on fixed income. It devalues your savings and it devalues debt. So if you're playing that game and you're a real estate investor, the obvious thing to do is to lever as much as you can afford responsibly so you don't fall upside down. But that, because that value decline goes to the debt holder and the price increase goes to the equity holder. That's the name of the game. What are your thoughts on today's environment? And is it is it dangerous? What What's the responsible way to approach leverage today? So when I think about this is, I don't think... Um Uh, Howard Marks wrote a book on mastering market cycles that I think has a lot of really key things and he used an analogy in there that I often uh, have have reiterated. It's it's like being a, a blackjack player that counts cards is so what you do is you know when the the deck is stacked in your favor. You have more face cards. You have more higher probability that when you make a bet, you're gonna have it pay out in a greater scale. And so um, when you're in a, a distressed environment and you're buying assets and you can make and pick the deals that you're acquiring, um, that's when you're splitting tens. That's when you're doubling down. That's when you're putting more money out onto the investment. I think as we're kind of maybe later in the cycle and the government's printed a bunch of money, um, all governments have 
printed a bunch of money. And so when you look at that is like, hey, maybe the deck's not necessarily stacked in my favor. And so you're not going to necessarily go split tens. You're going to say, we're going to play this 20. We're going to play this and hopefully that it works out. But so exactly to that point is securing long-term low fixed interest rate is, is by far and away the most, you know, um, uh, biggest hedge that you can do against inflation because you know if you three four five percent look at what inflation numbers are and that's cpi as a made-up number that the government swaps around real world inflationary environments are probably closer to the 10 or 15 percent um on an annual basis so exactly to your point and i think leverage in so many other aspects it's not just the leverage of of financial mechanisms but leverage of uh, we talked about it systems, leverage of people's time, leverage of uh, so many other things. You know, you've written books. I've written a book. And really what that is, is if you think about it, a book, you someone can go read a book in three, four hours. They're really getting 10 years of your experience. You're getting, they're getting 10, 12, 15 years of my experience. And so when you're looking for this is you're looking for things that are going to give you asymmetric return for the time or, you know, whatever. And so that's what I mean by leverage on top of not only the traditional debt, but then leveraging your team, leveraging systems, leveraging information that is beyond yourself. And so, I mean, it is more than the uh, compounded interest uh, of, and I think it's like one of the greatest uh, factors that exists in the world. And I would even take that to the next point further is people, and I've said this many times, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. I actually believe that's wrong now. You can make more time. And so you're going to say, how do you make more time? I go with leverage. You're leveraging systems and automations and things that you do today. You're not going to add more than 24 hours in your day today, but you can spend two hours setting up an auto pay that's going to save you four hours a month that over the course of a year gives you two extra days of free time. And so when you can start understanding how automation works and how systems work, you can give yourself days, weeks, and months of more time in your thing to do the thing that you actually truly really want. And that's what is uh, how you multiply and make more time with leverage. Classic Tim Ferriss four-hour work week. Yeah. And that was like the, the the second biggest book. Number one was Rich Dad Poor Dad. When I was going through the the bottom uh, market, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I, I actually didn't have the money to buy it at the bookstore. I would walk over to the bookstore. This is back when there was bookstores, and I would walk there and I'd read it in the coffee shop and I'd put it back on the shelf and then walk back home and then walk back and then read the next to the thing. And oh my gosh, it is is you know life changing if you really read into it and understand the the principles of it. Absolutely. Well, Jake, if uh, folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, if they want to buy the book, what's the best way? Catchknives.com um, is where we put most of our content. Uh, they can sign up, look for things. There's a newsletter that goes out where we push most of our content through that. There's a YouTube channel. There's, uh, I don't think we're on Twitter, but Instagram, jake.realestate. Um, is my handle on Instagram where I'm most active from any kind of social media. But, you know, find me on LinkedIn, um, just my name, Jake Harris Real Estate, typically will pull me up there. And uh, But the catchknives.com is where you can find and navigate most of those things. And I'll take you to the, the book page and courses and other things that we're working on. 
Jake, I love the perspective, love the book. Uh, for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Jake. Visit his website, catchknives.com, and order a copy of the book, Catching Knives. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.